Okay, we are in 1 Samuel chapter 14. and Let's start reading from verse 1. 1 Samuel chapter 14. Now the day came that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who was carrying his armor, Come, let us cross over to the Philistines, to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under the pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. And the people who were with him were about 600 men. And Ahiah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phineas, the, the son of Phineas, the son of Eli, the priest of the Lord at Shiloh, was wearing an ephod. And the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Between the passes by which Jonathan sought to cross over to the Philistine garrison, there was a sharp crag on one side and a sharp crag on the other side. And the name of the one was Bozes, and the name of the other, Sinai. The one crag rose on the north opposite Michmash, and the other on the south opposite Geba. Then Jonathan said to the young man who was carrying his armor, Come, let us cross over to the garrison of the uncircumcised. Perhaps the Lord will work for us. For the Lord is not restrained to save by many or by few. And his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Turn yourself, and here I am with you, according to your desire. Then Jonathan said, Behold, we will cross over to the men and reveal ourselves to them. If they say to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand in our place and not go up to them. But if they say, Come up to us, then we will go up, for the Lord has given them into our hand, and this shall be the sign to us. When both of them revealed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines, the Philistines said, Behold, the Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden themselves. So the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor-bearer and said, Come up to us and we will, show you some- we, want to tell- we will tell you something. And Jonathan said to his armor-bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hands of the Israel. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and his feet with his armor-bearer behind him, and they fell before Jonathan, and his armor-bearer put some to death after him. That, that first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor-bearer made was about twenty men within about half a furrow in an acre of land. And there was a trembling in the camp in the field and among the people. Even the garrison of the raiders trembled, and the earth quaked so that it became a great trembling." Okay, so we are in 1 Samuel chapter 14, and you see that there was a stalemate here, and Jonathan got tired of this stalemate. And so he went out, and he, he was a commander, and so it wasn't like he was functioning out of order. He was certainly a commander, and he decided to go and, and, and act upon this, and he went to the, the it, it says that uh, he didn't tell his father, and then in verse 2, Saul was staying in Gibeah under the pomegranate tree. So, remember, this book was written sometime after the events, maybe 50 years, maybe 75 years, but that pomegranate tree was known to people even all this time later because it refer- makes reference to a pomegranate tree. Uh, uh, it, it makes reference to the pomegranate tree which is in Migron. So apparently the people, even 50 years later, knew what, what uh, landmark he was referring to <clears throat> because he gives no particular explanation about it. <clears throat> and then he says that in verse 3, he tells us that Ahiha, 
was the priest at that time. Uh, he uh, was the great-grandson of Eli. So we had learned about Eli, the priest at Shiloh. We had learned about Phineas was one of his two sons that was killed in battle, and that was judgment upon them. Phineas, we read, had a son. The same day that Phineas died, his son Ichabod was born. <clears throat> and Ichabod had apparently an older brother named Ahitub, and Ahitub's son was Ahiha. So that makes Ahit, uh, Ahiha, that makes Ahiha Eli's great-grandson. But remember, Eli was 90-something years old when he had died, and this was now some many years later, so certainly he could have a, a grandson that's over the age of, a great-grandson that's over the age of 30. Now he refers to two passes, <clears throat> a, a pass by which there was a crag on one side and a crag on the other, one named Bozes and the other named Sinan, in verse 6. And it says that <clears throat> one faced north, the other faced south, and one of them had thorns on it and the other one didn't. And to this day, those crags still exist. <clears throat> the stones are still there. To this day, the one that's, that's in the shade most of the day, not the one that's in the sun, is covered with thorns. So, even to this day, that, that, that topology remains the same. And it says that Jonathan and his, his uh, armor-bearer, they made a plan, and he said in verse 6 that they would expose themselves, they would stand on the one side of this path and expose themselves to the Philistine garrison. And he says <clears throat> that, in verse 6, he says that perhaps the Lord will work for us, for the Lord is not restrained to save by many or by few. This is not a presumptuous sort of faith. This is that saying that perhaps the Lord will give us victory. Because the Lord is not restrained to save by many or by few. So he had a deep faith in God. That he says it doesn't matter the number. This is what had been demonstrated to Israel throughout their time taking over the land. Throughout the book of Judges, this is what had been demonstrated to them. And the history that these young guys studied was the history in the book of Judges. And he knows, for example, from Gideon, that the Lord is not restrained by, to save by many or by few. So there was a great faith, but he wasn't saying, God will definitely deliver us. He says, perhaps he will. But I'm going to step out and have faith that he does. And then he says, his armor bearer said, go ahead, let's do all that's in your heart. I'm with you. I mean, look at the bravery of these young men. This is extremely brave. Remember, there were so many troops. We had, we had talked about it, that the Philistines had gathered so many troops. This was in 13, verse 5. It says, Now the Philistines assembled to fight with Israel. They had 30,000 chariots. That's, that's like saying 30,000 tanks. I mean, these were serious fighting machines in, that, in those days. 6,000 horsemen and people like the sand, which is on the seashore in abundance. So, in other words, it doesn't even tell us how many people. couldn't even count the number of people that it had, that the Philistines had, for, as far as the infantrymen. And, and uh, there were only... Saul had, had 600 people. Uh, um, his, his son Jonathan had a few hundred people. But Jonathan says, look, let's just go up and take this garrison. There's only 20 or so men there. He thought he could take it. And then it says that, so um, in verse 8, 
<clears throat> Jonathan says, Behold, we will cross over to the men and reveal ourselves. If they say, Wait until we come to you, then we're going to stand our ground. But if they say, Come over to us, let's take that as a sign that the Lord is going to give us a victory. I mean, there is a tremendous boldness in these young people. Very often, young people have a tremendous boldness. Sometimes it gets them into trouble. Other times, it causes them to have tremendous success. They start new companies. They do amazing things that older people are afraid to do. And you see this often throughout the Scriptures, that God works with young people. Here's an example where He works with Jonathan rather than with King Saul, because as you get older, a lot of times you get more timid and... and, uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes, in the last chapter, talks about how when you get old, how timid you get. You, you hear the bird chirping and you just jump. And uh, um, so, so you see that, that Jonathan is quite able to hear from the Lord and go out in boldness. And it was this same characteristic that we're going to eventually see in David when David's called to, to be king. So it says that when they reveal themselves... It says in verse 11, When both of them revealed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines, the Philistines said, Behold, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden themselves. So Hebrews was the way that the Gentiles referred to the children of Israel. They referred to them as Hebrews. So once in a while when speaking to a Gentile, a Gentile, child of Israel may refer to themselves as a Hebrew because that's the way the Gentiles referred to them, as Hebrews. And so they say, Behold, the Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they've hidden themselves. What holes where they've hidden themselves? If you look back in 13, it says in, verse, in chapter 13, verse 6, When the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, for the people were hard-pressed, then the people hid themselves in caves, in thickets, in cliffs, in cellars, and in pits. So there were five places where they hid themselves, all some covered place, because they were terrified of this huge army. So the Philistines realized that, you know, they probably kept turning up, you know, enclaves of hidden, hidden Hebrews. And here they said, look, they're coming out of the holes where they've hidden. In verse 12, so the men hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come up to us and we will tell you something. So, you know, they think these people are really stupid. Oh, come here, we want to tell you something. Or it could be, t- it's a form of, of bantering, sort of like, uh, come here, we'll show you a thing or two. You know, this sort of bantering that occurs between men. And so it says, Jonathan and his armor bearer came, uh, uh, um, said to his armor bearer, come after me, for the Lord has given them into the hands of Israel. He knew, because he had set this fleece, in a sense, before the Lord. That if they say, come up to us, we will know the Lord has given them into our hands. This tremendous boldness has come forth. And then, in verse 13, it says that they had to climb on his hands and his feet. So, in other words, if it's just a gradual slope, you don't use your hands, you just stay on your feet. But when there's a steep incline, you have to use your hands and your feet as you're going through these rocks and these crags. So it gives us this picture of, of um, you, you know, the, the way they're moving. And then they get up there and they defeat this group of 20 men. Well, how can one man fighting with an armor bearer defeat 20 men? Well, probably there's a couple of soldiers 
sitting there and the other 18 are sitting around and watching and you're just going to watch this thing and watch these Israelites, these Hebrews, get killed. But little do they know that this is the king's son. And the king's son is very well trained in fighting. And we know that David, when Jonathan finally dies, David has a song, composes a song about King Saul and his son Jonathan. And it says that they were swifter than eagles. I mean, David, who was a man of war, tremendous man of war, praised the fighting ability of Jonathan. So little do these men know that, that, uh, um, that Jason Bourne is coming up this hill. And, and so he gets up there, and probably, you know, he, he kills two people, and there's five guys say, uh-oh, we've got to go take care of this guy. So five more come, and it says that he keeps <clears throat> putting them down, <clears throat> and then the armor-bearer comes and is killing some of them behind him as these men are dropping to the ground. And he ends up killing all 20. And this is, it says... That first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor-bearer made. So that's verse 14. That's referring to this as a first slaughter. Now remember, previously in chapter 13, uh, um, Jonathan had already attacked one of the garrisons. I mean, Jonathan didn't sit still. Now the Lord then follows this up with an earthquake that ends up routing the entire Philistine army. But what I want to focus on today is to talk about courage to talk about what the Scriptures give us in courage. There are examples of old people that are extremely courageous. There are examples of young people that are extremely courageous. But God speaks to us in whatever state we are in to be courageous in Him. Caleb, for example. Caleb was one of the the twelve spies that was sent out. Joshua and Caleb were two of the twelve spies that were sent out to go scope out the land when when the... uh, children of Israel were first coming into the land. And there were only two that said we can take this land. One was Joshua and one was Caleb. There were only those two that were able to take that land. Caleb at the time was 40 years old. Very bold. Well now, 45 years after that event, they're coming back into the land. So remember, they, 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 they wander in the wilderness now for 40 years. They come back into the land. They conquer a lot of the land over a period of five years. And now, it's 45 years from the first time the spies that had come into the land. And if you look in, in, in uh, Joshua, which is a couple books back from 1 Samuel, you look, look uh, um, in Joshua, you will see in Joshua chapter 14, you can pick up now Caleb, this 40-year-old who had gone into the land to spy it out, is now 85. And Joshua chapter 14, verse 6. Then the sons of Israel drew near to Joshua in Gilgal. Joshua chapter 14, verse 6. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know the word which the Lord spoke to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of God, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought back word to him, and it was in my heart. Nevertheless, the brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, melt with fear. But I followed the Lord my God fully. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden will be an inheritance to you and to your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God fully. Behold, the Lord has let me live, just as He spoke these 45 years, 
from the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses when Israel walked in the wilderness. And now, behold, I am 85 years old today. Okay, so Caleb is now 85 years old. There were only two Israelites of of the 600,000 plus men and all the women and children that had first approached the land. There was only two that were alive that were over the age of 20 at the time. And that's Joshua and Caleb. Everyone else had died. God cleaned them out in the wilderness. These two, Caleb goes to Joshua, who's in charge now, and says, Remember the word of Moses, wherever I want, I can have in this land. So, what area is Caleb going to choose? They've defeated so many different parts of the land by this time, this five years of fighting. He could have taken any one of those defeated parts of the land. But no, he chooses another part. He says, in verse 11, I am still as strong today as I was in the day Moses sent me, as my strength was then, so my strength is now, for war, for going out, and for coming in. Now then, give me this hill country about which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day that Eniakim were there, with great fortified cities. Perhaps the Lord will be with me, and I will drive them out as the Lord has spoken. Again, you see, it's not a presumptuous prayer. He says, perhaps the Lord will be with me. I'll drive them out. In verse 13, So Joshua blessed him and gave him Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Therefore Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb. This is the exact city where there were giants in the land. Remember back when they first came back, they said there's giants in the land, the Eniakim. This is the city that Caleb wanted. At 85 years old, he could have had anything. You know, the guys should be ready to retire. But he's ready to fight. He said that very land that they said is full of giants, that's the part of the land that I want. This enormous courage. Where does this come from? It doesn't come, it's not inherent within a man to do this. You say the, the same sort of thing in, in young people as well. Look in Jeremiah. The prophet Jeremiah, chapter 1. In Jeremiah chapter 1, a call is coming to Jeremiah, and he's obviously a young man because he says he is. A call is coming to Jeremiah to preach to the people of Israel. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Alas, Lord... Behold, I do not know how to speak because I am a youth. Okay, so in verse 6, Jeremiah says, I'm a youth. I don't know how to speak. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 6. I don't know how to speak because I'm too young. You know, you, you, take, a, you take a young man and you put him before a big crowd and you're just all fumbling. You, know. you, know, you just don't know how to do it. He says, I can't do that. I mean, I'm just a young guy. How am I going to speak? And look at what God says to him in verse 7. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am a youth. Because wherever I send you, you shall go. And all that I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord stretched out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have appointed you this day over the nations and over the kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build up and to plant. The Lord does this. Even The Lord never says, you're not a youth. He said, just stop saying I'm a youth. He says, take the excuses that you're using. 
Not that it's not a valid excuse, but just don't say it because I'm going to touch your mouth. And this is what I'm going to do with you. And look down in verse 17 of of chapter 1 of Jeremiah. Now gird up your loins and arise and speak to them all which I command you. Do not be dismayed before them, or I will dismay you before them. Now behold, I have made you today as a fortified city, as a pillar of iron, and as walls of bronze against the whole land, to the kings of Judah and to its princes, to its priests and to the peoples of the land. They will fight against you, but they will not overcome you. For I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. I have taken this passage, this passage of Scriptures, and so many times just prayed this back to the Lord. When I was fearful about situations that I had to go and speak in, I would just take this passage and I would read it. When I was doing prison ministry, it's just a young man going into a maximum security prison and standing up before crowds of people that are milling around that don't particularly want to listen and you've got to get up on the back of a flatbed truck in the blazing sun, you're handed a microphone and speak. And what are you going to say? And I would take this portion and I would read it and it said, Gird up your loins and arise and speak to them all that I command you. Do not be dismayed before them, or I will dismay you before them. So God would speak, would speak to my heart and say, Don't be dismayed. Don't be fearful. Don't be afraid of these guys. You speak to them with the power and authority with God. If you are afraid of them, I will really dismay you before them. Look, look back in... in, uh, in Keep your finger there, but I want you to look back in, in Numbers... Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13 is the reference that I was referring to a little while ago when he sent spies into the land. And remember I said that, that uh, only Joshua and Caleb came back and brought, brought back a report that wasn't filled with fear? And in Numbers chapter 13, the same sort of thing happens. You see this thing of dismay. So, Numbers chapter 13, it says in verse 25, When they returned from spying out the land at the end of of 40 days, they proceeded to come to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they thus told them and said, We went into the land where you sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. So you see, they confess that it is a great land and there's tremendous fruit there. But in verse 28, Nevertheless, the people who are in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Remember, those are the ones that Caleb went and took on 45 years later. Amalek is living in the land and then the Geb and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites are living in the hill country and the Canaanites are living by the sea on the side of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, We should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we shall surely overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. For so they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land which you have gone and spying out is a land which devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom they saw in it are men of great size. There were also the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, a part of the Nephilim. Those are giants, by the way. I mean, really big men like like Goliath. And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. That last part, we became grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were were in their sight. 
when they started viewing themselves as small grasshoppers compared to these big giants, so they became small grasshoppers in the eyes of those giants. Do you see what I mean? That's what it says. We became grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we became in their sight. What I view myself as is what I will become. That's why God tells Jeremiah, don't be dismayed before them, or I'll dismay you before them. If you back down from these people that are the religious leaders and the priests and the kings, this is what he tells them. Look, look at the people who Jeremiah has to go and talk to. He says that, that uh, uh, you are going to testify... Um, where is this? Oh, it, it says it further above here that, that... Where was that verse? That he was going to preach... There it is in verse 18. He says, to the kings of Judah. He says, to the kings of Judah, to its princes, to its priests, and the people of the land. He was going to have to preach to kings, to princes. You know, this is a fearful thing. You know, you walk into, you know, go talk to Obama. You know? I mean, this is a fearful thing to go in before the kings. And to the princes, and to the priests, the religious authorities. He says, you're going to do this. He says, but don't be dismayed before them. And you need to take the Word of God and allow it to speak to you and say, I refuse to look at myself like a grasshopper. And you know, you know Jewish men are rather small. In general, they're small people. And this is the Aniakim. These are huge, huge men. And God said, don't look at yourself like a grasshopper. Or else they will start viewing you that way. As you look at yourself, they will look at you. Remember that. And so he says to Jeremiah, he says, you gird up your loins, pull up your pants, and arise and speak to them. Get up and speak to them. Go and do this. Then he says, I have made you today a fortified city, a pillar of iron and a wall of bronze. And I would take this verse, and before I would get up and stand up in those situations, I would be sitting there with my Bible open, and the person would, the, 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 usually the chaplain, would be introducing me. And the chaplain doesn't stay. He just hands me the microphone and he goes back to his office and he leaves me there. And I would be saying this. You are, God says, I am a fortified city. I am a pillar of iron. I am a wall of bronze. I am a fortified city. I am a pillar of iron. I am a wall of bronze. And I would grab that microphone and boom! You know, and I'd start speaking and I'd see these men walking and just stop. And look up. God does this. God does this. God can take you and empower you and fill you for whatever the situation. God does this with young people all the time. They start companies. There was this king, Uzziah. This king, Uzziah. Where what he did was he built these huge cities, these massive engines and machines of war. Very industrious guy. And I sit sometimes and I watch these young guys start these companies with this tremendous ambition and the strength that they have. And it's beautiful to watch. You know, and they're not sitting there, oh, I'm too young to you know, be a CEO. I'm only 30 years old. I'm only 28 years old. Well, some of them have started great companies. Whatever God calls you to, you do it with the power of God. He calls us to things and we are to step out and do it. This is what He calls us to. Proverbs. Chapter 28, verse 1. Proverbs, chapter 28, verse 1. Here is the promise. Here is a promise that God gives to us. 
The wicked flee when no one is pursuing, but the righteous are bold as a lion. If you want to see your courage get sapped, go ahead and walk in sin. Go ahead and just live in sin. Your courage will be tremendously taken from you. But the righteous are as bold as a lion. You can be filled with the boldness of a lion. Look in Daniel chapter 11. Daniel chapter 11. Daniel was a young man when he was taken into, in, in, into uh, uh, captivity. And he had lived his entire life in captivity. From the time he was about 15 years old, he had lived in captivity. He was now a man probably in his 80s or 90s by Daniel chapter 11. He had served under about five different kings. And in Daniel chapter 11, the latter part of verse 32, it says, God spoke a word to Daniel, but the people, Daniel 11:32, part, part B, but the people who know their God will displace, display strength and take action. The people who know their God will display strength and take action. If you will get before God on a daily basis and take the Word of God and make it your meditation, he who beholds the face of God does not back down before the face of men. It will give you boldness. It will give you power. And people will look at you and wonder, how can you be doing this? Aren't you afraid to do this? And other Christians around you will try to passivate you and just say, settle down now. You, you, this is, you can get in trouble doing this, you know. And sometimes our, 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 you know, the people we've got to battle with most are believers or family members. They did the same to Jesus. Jesus says he was preaching. His mother and his brothers, his family, come. They say, your, your, your mother and your, your family are looking for you. And he doesn't go. He says, who, is, who are my mother? Who are my brothers? Who is my family? Is it not those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven? So even his family was trying to keep him from, from ministering. It happened to Jesus. Very often your own family is going to say, uh, you know, don't you have to be careful here? My family has told me this to me throughout my career. Now they've given up. And I don't, I don't mean my wife and my children. I mean my parents. They said, you, you know, you're going to make it difficult for your career if you keep talking this Jesus stuff all the time. You know, they had resigned to the fact that I was going to be a Christian. They had already given up on that, but they said, can't you just you know, go to church and be a normal Christian? Just be quiet about this thing? Why do you have to go around talking about it so loudly all the time? And it's your own family that will very often try to protect you. And this is why parents are always trying to protect their children from going on the mission field. Well, you know, we do have a mission field here, you know. There are a lot of people here in, in Houston that need to know about Jesus, right? So you could, you could do that here and live right next to your mother and father so that we could take care of the grandchildren and we could have you the rest of our lives and so that, you know, be selfish. We want to be selfish and have you. Scripture says, go, go, do it. The thing that, that, that stops most missionaries, young missionaries, from going to the mission field is not Satan. It is their own families. It is their mother and their father who are afraid what's going to happen to them when they go to the Sudan. What's going to happen to them when they go to, to uh, uh, Afghanistan? What's going to happen to them? I don't know. Maybe they'll die. Maybe they'll die. But they'll be in heaven. I have no idea what's going to happen to them. We can't predict that. But you have to allow a young person to go and do what is in their heart. 
to exercise this, or else what happens is, their whole life, they think about, well, I didn't really fulfill this call, and they become chickens their whole lives. It holds them back their whole lives. Because they always reflect back to the point where they didn't take the land when it was given to them. But when you have success after success of boldly stepping out, now, do you ever mess up? All the time. I mess up all the time. I say things I shouldn't have said. I think in my boldness I should have spoken up and said things, and I totally blew it. But I can't help but think that God still approves of me. That God still looks down from heaven and says, well, he thought he had it right. I mean, I appreciate his boldness. You know, that's going to happen. Are you going to say the wrong thing sometimes? Yes. If you speak, you will say the wrong thing sometimes. You will bring offense upon people. And just because you bring offense doesn't mean that it's all the end. Remember in, 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 in uh, I think it's Luke chapter 11 or something. I can find it if you want. But it, 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 it says that, that the lawyers came to him. This is the religious scholars came to him and said, when you speak to the Pharisees like that, you offend us too. You offend us too. In fact, it says you insult us too. And so Jesus doesn't say, oh, you know, I'm really sorry about that. You know, the worst thing you could ever do is offend somebody or insult them. I am very, very, very sorry. I had just blown it. Father, forgive me. He doesn't say that. Jesus said, oh, does that offend you? How about this? You lawyers, you lawyers make these people do, do all these things and you won't lift anything with a single finger. You are responsible for the death of all the prophets, of all the prophets from... Uh, 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 from from uh, Abel through Zechariah, through, through from Abel through Zechariah, you are responsible for the death of all the prophets. So what he's saying, what he's saying is that you, you know the, the Jews take the the Old Testament, but the order of their books is different than our order. It's the same books, but they go from. Genesis, their last book is Second Chronicles. So the last person to ju- die is Zechariah. So he says, from the first prophet to the last prophet, you lawyers are responsible for all of their death. You know, I'm sure nobody ever went to him again and said, you know, you're offended. A guy came to me, he says, you know, we, we had a great church service. We had a Messianic Jew come and we had this, this Seder service, this Passover service. And, you know, we, it was really a meaningful time to us. I said, oh, that's nice. Then he said, but I was speaking to one Jewish woman. She was offended that we Gentiles were doing a Passover service. And? I mean, you, you know, they're offended that you Gentiles would read the Old Testament because that's their book. So you're not going to read it? How about you just don't read the Old Testament because it's going to offend them, you know? What's a Gentile doing preaching from the Old Testament? They have no understanding of this. I mean, you're going to offend somebody just by living. You can't live your life worrying about who you're going to offend. There must be a boldness, and God gives a boldness. You can be like King Saul hiding under a pomegranate tree in Migron, or you can be stepping out and taking a garrison. God gives boldness again and again. There are examples of boldness. All the prophets, he called Isaiah when he was a young man, he called Ezekiel, and again and again he would speak to them. He would tell them, you've got to speak. I am empowering you. I have touched your mouth. God has already touched your mouth. If you're a believer, He's already touched your mouth. You can speak His word. The righteous are as bold as a lion. 
says in, in Revelation that in the, in the book of Revelation that, that uh, the lion retreats before no man. This is what the Lord has given us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. I pray for these young people that you instill within them a boldness. A boldness which could only come from you. Father, speak to their hearts and instill in them the courage that we saw demonstrated in Jonathan. Speak, Lord, to their hearts. And Father, as we wait before you now, I pray, Lord, that each of us would pray to you to increase our courage and our boldness. Father, make us like a pillar of iron, like a fortified city, like a wall of bronze. Father, let us walk in that proclamation. Father, thank you for your mercies. In the name of Jesus. Amen.